Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Clear. Thanks for joining us for another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our show is brought to you today by Next Level Brands CPG Community a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf. The Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Well, we've got a great show for you today, folks, a smoking show, in fact, because we're going to be talking hot sauces with Dan Dahl. Anne is the CEO of Bushwick Kitchen, and he is also an American University alumnus who graduated in 2010 with a double major in business administration and communications, legal institutions, economics, and government. After graduating, he worked for IBM. You may know them, uh, as well as Living Social, before devoting his full-time career to running two brands, Bushwick Kitchen and Soapbox. Welcome to the program, Dan. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks for having me. So I, I guess the first question we have to ask is, you, you do the right thing, you go to university, you go to work for the big company, what happened? You know, it's an interesting uh, story because both my parents uh, had sort of these career long experiences. My mother was a teacher. And of course, after a few years of teaching, you get your tenure and it's a pretty secured position. And uh, my father worked in the automobile industry for 37 years at the same uh, the same outfit. So right. when I told both of them that, uh, you know, I wanted to go into entrepreneurship, they were like, are you sure you want to leave that, you know, corporate IBM resume building, career building job to take a pay cut to go at that time work at Living Social, which was this like new age daily deals company right. um, that ended up being merged with Groupon. Uh, I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. So did you, did you kind of have an entrepreneurial bent, you know, like, did you have a paper route? Did you do that kind of stuff? Or did you have an epiphany somewhere sitting at your desk at IBM or how'd that evolve? It was just before that. Um, So my mom tells a story of me sort of watching the OJ Simpson trial uh, and really having a fascination. I was young at the time with law and like the judicial system and I'd always wanted to take this kind of law track into eventually being a judge. That's what was like my childhood dream. So <laughs> a lot of kids want to be an astronaut or, you know, uh, you know, something like that, a sports star. And I wanted to be a judge. And when I went to college, I visited American University, ironically, with my sister, who's two years older, as she was prospecting for, for colleges and really loved the feel of it and, and kind of came to the conclusion that I didn't want to put myself into a pre-law track where if I had a change of heart, didn't like the curriculum, uh, something sort of changed in my you know wants and needs at the time as a student. Sure. But I'd kind of be stuck in this track of law. And then what most people do is they just suck it up and live it out uh, because they're already two, three, four years into it. I loved American University because of that combined major called CLEG, which affectionately I refer to as the major of minors. Um, which was that communication, <laughs> law, economics, and government. Yep. And so it was kind of a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none approach. And I figured that would give me the ability to make some lateral moves outside of law if, if I didn't want to go that path. And then, you know, throughout, you know, going to, going to university and uh, opening up my mind to sort of other avenues, you know, really took to, to business and had always been business oriented, um, but sort of through college said, okay, I can add on the second major and really dive into 
the nitty gritty of it, the marketing and the finance and, you know, the things that the courses would teach you as a, as a foundational level. And so that's kind of how that started. Interest in food or interest in, um, you know, household goods or where, where did you, did, did you have an inkling? I mean, did we were a cook or how did that come about? I always enjoyed food. I always enjoyed cooking. I wouldn't say I was particularly good or passionate about it. I am passionate about eating. Um, and, uh, you know, but that's, uh, it's not, not <laughs> something that I kind of woke up one day and was like, you know what, I think I should start a consumer packaged goods company. Uh, it was one of those things that I was in an entrepreneurship class and I was always into tech more than I was into CPG uh, and decided to join a, a, a group project with uh my now co-founder named Dave, who was uh, taking his experience from working at a contract as a subcontractor for USAID into this entrepreneurship class that I was taking in the end deliverable was to write a business plan. Okay. So (laughs) help him write the business plan for a social mission soap company at the time called Soapbox, uh, which is a company that we still run today under our portfolio of brands. Um, But yeah, nowhere in the path in the script was, was running a soap or sauce company part of the equation. So Bushwick Kitchen, um, we'll talk about it, sauces. Um, tell us a little bit about where Bushwick comes from and why you proudly have born in Brooklyn, New York on your bottles. Based in Brooklyn, New York, and that's where we were born. Uh, we've moved our headquarters now to our parent company headquarters in Washington, D.C. Uh, but the reason that we say born in Brooklyn is because Bushwick is a, a section of Brooklyn um, where a foodie and an entrepreneur get together to give themselves a bit of a project which was to create a brand from scratch in under 30 days for under $5,000. So a pretty cool origin story of the two guys getting together in a Bushwick apartment uh, and trying to make something out of thin air. And the first product was uh, inspired by one of the co-founder Casey's trips uh, abroad, which was taking these long, thin, hot peppers and infusing them into honey in his Bushwick apartment kitchen. And um, he was the sort of food tinkerer Morgan, the other founder, co-founder was sort of the entrepreneurial mind and sort of the two of those beautifully met, you know, melded into this brand that you see today um, with a, a bunch of, you know, sauces and condiments with really unique flavor profiles, beautiful design, um, something that you would feel great eating in your, from your own pantry or something that you would feel great you know, right. showing up to your friend's party with as a, as a favor gift. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of fun. And um, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for the samples. Now, uh, I weak knees is the name of the sriracha sauce. And um, I, I hate to admit, Dan, that I, I had to try it on a hot dog, but it was great. It gave a great flavor profile. And so is, you know, um, it, it works for that. Yeah, I think that what we're trying to do as, as a brand, if we sort of take that comment and kind of zoom back to 10,000 feet, you know, there's a lot of quintessential ways uh, that people like to use their sauces. Of course, sriracha, a bit more in the zeitgeist over the last, call it seven to 10 years. Yes. People really understanding that as a, as a flavor and condiment. But even if you take some of the other products we make, like honey or maple syrups, if you ask an average person, they're going to tell you that honey is what their you know, mom or grandma put in their tea. And maple syrup is what you put on your pancakes or waffles on Sunday morning breakfast. Yep. And as a brand, we want to say, okay, we're going to take that condiment, that commodity condiment and upgrade it for you. So you don't have to do much work. You just take that product. And instead of thinking, I've got this hot dog, I've got this hamburger with French fries, and now I need the sauce to complement it. We want you to be able to take that sauce in your hand and say, I've got a curry sriracha, or I've got a, 
you know, gingerbread maple syrup. What are the things that I can do with this maple syrup that might be out of the box? Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's, uh, you know, our kind of goal or, or objective to give you the tools and the ideas and sort of spark that creativity for you to be a culinary explorer. But, you know, we've had people use it on all kinds of things, right? You know, putting maple syrup in cocktails um, <laughs> as a drizzle on vegetables, you know, cut toppings of ice creams. I mean, so if you kind of, if you think of it from the reverse perspective, like that sort of iconic piece of furniture that you redesign your entire room around, we want you to take that same approach to our sauces instead of just, you know, using it as a, as a finishing tool to bring a little added flavor. Yeah. I'm thinking breakfast sausage uh, with the trees, the trees knees, actually. That's the, I think that's the next application this weekend. So Absolutely. I'll let you know about that. Um, so when um, so, so the the project starting out with um, with with the two folks, uh, obviously with this project was successful. Hopefully they got you know good credit for it. Did you guys then? How did you meet up, or how did you evolve, or when did you become involved with it? Yeah. So I mentioned that we were running a second CPG company in the in the personal care uh, health and hygiene space called Soapbox. Yeah. And the ideas there were sort of a more of a knowledge share. We had kind of known some of the one of the founders and were working together and they had started their business D2C and was moving into retail. And we started in retail and we're moving to more to DC. And we kind of just started as sort of friends in the community. Uh, and when they came to us in 2018 and said, Hey, you know, we think that a partner could take this brand to the next level. Uh, do you know anyone that would want a partner? Um, we said, We know the perfect people. Uh, and we called them. <laughs> And they said, uh, you know, we're getting acquired ourselves. So acquiring a company while being acquired, probably not going to float. Um, but we've been watching the brand and we've uh, seen them grow and love what they're doing. Uh, and the more that we thought about it, we said, you know, we've built an infrastructure uh, with a lot of the commonalities of CPG kind of covered. You know, so from our perspective, pick a number, 85% of consumer packaged goods from the finance side, the inventory side, marketing you know, sales, right? logistics, it's, it's, it's all the same. Uh, there's a couple of nuances that are different. And if you stick to sort of core category or center store, you know, not things that have a, you know, seven week code uh, or seven day code, right? you can find a lot of synergies um, in the, in the back end processing, but also in the front end sort of uh, sales and marketing piece of things. So um, we said, you know what, why don't, why don't we take a crack at it and start building a portfolio of brands that, are making the world a better place. Um, you know, so for Soapbox, it's a one-for-one one give back, like Tom's Shoes, but for soap. And for Bushwick, it's a clear ingredient story about um, simple ingredients, true ingredients. Uh, we, we, we work with a number of other NGOs throughout the year, um, you know, in, in all different kinds of arenas as well. And, uh, and, it, and it was a perfect fit and, and blend. And so um, you know, that happened in 2018. And, you know, we've just been, focusing on providing amazing products that our passionate consumers uh, want to see and, and love to try and experiment with. So, so Dan, uh, did you guys start out with, um, did you start out with sort of an e-commerce focus first and then look at retail or where are you in that evolution? Yeah, I think it's uh, a bit of both. We started, the brand really started from 2014, you know, through to 2018, really focused on growth e-commerce, Amazon, uh, as well as through some local mom and pops in the, in the New York region, um, or call it the tri-state. And I think that's where we kind of picked up the ball from there. And there was a couple of national distributors uh, of the product like Sir Latab and 
um, oh, sure. Dean and DeLuca, which is a, you know, a bit of a shell of its former self, but, um, so there was some, some spokes of, uh, of new hubs, you know, by coastly or across the country that were starting to pop up. Um, and, and our kind of goal is to continue to further the growth in these, um, sort of niche, small accounts where you can sort of treasure hunt and explore to find some really cool products. Um, but also to make some products that are available for the mass market um, while still sort of protecting and insulating those mom and pops that have been there since we started uh, and really start to grow the presence of the brand and um, create some sauces that we can, you know, try to bring the price points down a bit to compete uh, in, in mass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a tough, um, it's a tough category um, of course, cause you have some, you know, some market leaders that are basically able to turn out, a lot of, a lot of stuff very cheaply, uh, you know, whatever, but flavor profile wise, it still is one of those places where you can stand out by, um, the virtue of, you know, what you're creating and the, and the quality and stuff of your ingredients. I think, um, this is one of the times when I wish we did have video for the podcast because the, uh, Bushwick kitchens packaging is really, really great. I'm, I'm not a packaging you know expert at all, but I know what I like and it's very clean, very nice. Um, so kudos to whoever is responsible for the design, by the way, on that. Yeah, thank you. And I can take zero credit for that design. Um, when it's we okay. uh, took over the brand in 2018, we took it over in, in large part because of the flavors and because of the design. Uh, there was not much that needed to be changed or tweaked. Um, they had, the founding team had done an, an amazing job bringing it to the point that it was. You know, I think um, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of category driven by a lot of large, a large uh, CPGs or multinationals. I think you're you're starting to see in condiments and sauces a bit of a renaissance. And in some categories, it's it's existed a bit. Ketchup is a great example. You know, brands like uh, True Made Foods and uh, Sir Kensington have sort of proven that you can compete with Hunts and Heinz um, yes. by upgrading the ketchup category. And I think you're starting to see that in, in hot sauces a bit. Um, mm-hmm. You're starting to see that in barbecue sauces and in a couple other categories. And so... We think that the consumer is ready uh, to ditch the the high fructose corn syrup based national brand that they grew up with um, and sort of like, hey, I'm eating this cut of Wagyu, you know, burger. Like, am I really going to put like Heinz ketchup on it? Or it doesn't, there's a bit of a disconnect between that. And so we believe that if you bring unique design, flavor infusions, and, and of course, starting from a high quality product to start as, as your, your base of ingredients, you can really capture that audience uh, of people looking for the new age version of uh, an old staple. Yeah. And that, then that segment of the, of the audience and, and to, to use kind of a stretch analogy is a little bit like craft beer in, in the fact that, um, you know, an Anheuser-Busch or, you know, can't, can't really be in the craft beer business because there's nothing they make that would go under that definition, right? Except maybe there are R&D labs or whatever, but they also can't deal with that many different flavors that people want to try and use on different occasions, or they could never produce a beer that was only available in the summer, right? What are you talking about? We can't, we can't do that. And right. it seems to me as though sauces and condiments are a lot that way too, is that people who are really interested in trying a different type of sauce, are interested in trying a dozen different types of sauces and they might end up over time using five or six of those. And the other ones that go, Oh, it's too, too hot or it's got too much garlic or it's too much cardamom, whatever it is. But 
it's that that segment of the audience that is going to appreciate and will pay for stuff stuff that is obviously higher quality, lower volume stuff. And and I think that's you know I think that's fine. I think it's certainly safe in that area. Um, but you also mentioned uh, uh, in the development of something maybe a little bit more mass mass oriented and and did and did you guys look at that from kind of a flavor profile of trying to find something that would bring people into the family or were you looking for a price point? What was your strategy on that? I think it's a combination of both. You know, I don't think we'll ever be, but I tell people all the time, right? If you, if you want to buy honey from someone and you don't want any flavors, we're not the brand, right? Like there's a honey bear on your shelves at your local Safeway for $5.99. That can, that can check that box for you. Uh, and a couple of great brands that are playing in premium raw honeys, right? Right. But if you want like a unique flavor you know, experience and, um, you know, something that, that you can use in your own pantry, but also give your employees as a gift, bring to your friends, you know, your party when you have to bring a cheese plate. You know, if, you, if you're looking for that kind of product where you can show up and sort of like almost tout a condiment as this new thing that you've discovered, you're more prone to share it. You're more prone to create with it. You're more prone to make content with it. Uh, and, and I think we just have to get to a point where uh, we can level up the commodities that are sitting on the shelves, um, but not price ourselves out of the market for the majority of people shopping in those stores. And that's right. why it's a, it's a bit of a careful dance because we don't, we want to provide the same quality, uh, the premiumness, the, the flavor profile. And there's certain products that are just a little bit easier to do that with, you know, our honey is two ingredients. It's honey, which is pegged to commodity pricing. And if you get the best honey, it has the best price in terms of, the most expensive. Yeah. Um, so you're starting from a place already where, where you're premium in every aspect. Um, but when we can start to formulate things like hot sauces and barbecue sauces, we can, we can bring that same mentality, the same look and feel, um, but do so in a way uh, that we craft from scratch. And that process allows us to, to not be pegged to one single commodity that, you know, is based on, you know, production of bees or, Tap, you know, sap from trees and a bad harvest and your margins are gone. Um, it's a little right. bit easier to do it in some of those other categories. And so that's kind of the way that we've thought about positioning our growth going forward. If folks are interested in finding out a little bit more about uh, Bushwick Kitchens, how do they find you guys? Bushwickkitchen.com. Uh, of course, you can always find us on our own website, Amazon, um, Sir Latab, Crate and Barrel. All the good places. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Great for gifts, folks. Great gift packs out there. You can use those. Um, when, when you're doing through, let's talk about development for a minute. So did you guys had a set of flavors to begin with? And did you look at line extensions? Did you hook up with a chef? Did you, what did you do to try to find whatever the next set of flavors is going to be? We've done a little bit of every bucket. Um, you know, we don't, we don't like to think that we're, you know, masters of, of any one particular area, um, kind of one of those quintessential, like you don't know what you don't know. Um, so you could think that you're creating the best, most unique flavor, but um, maybe you are, or maybe you aren't. So why not surround yourself with a bunch of really smart and talented people um, that can provide their own unique perspective. And you take three unique perspectives into a product and you get a really unique perspective. Um Right, and so we've we've done a little bit of all of it. We've done some products that we've done internally. Uh, we've worked with food scientists. We've worked with you know pit masters. We've worked with <laughs> chefs, bartenders, uh, 
all for, you know, creative ways to utilize the product, you know, unique flavor profiles that, you know, are in some space, uh, like maybe the, the alcohol space or in bartending, but haven't really made it its way into food. Uh, and we can take some of those notes or nuances and, uh, and blend something that's really cool and unique. That was actually going to be my next question, which is um, high-end food service. You guys doing anything there? We're uh, only limited right now by uh, the form factors that we have in our warehouse. Um, so we've had a lot of interest, um, especially pre-COVID, given uh, a bit of a slowdown in that space. Yes. Yeah. With restaurants not quite knowing, hotels not quite knowing. Um, but yeah, I will tell you that there was there was going to be a very big launch um, that would have happened two months after COVID that uh, kind of got set, set back to square one. So, well, yeah, we, we are working on that space. And, and I call it now, you know, it, it, I almost got to a point where I could have a, um, you know, a, a show and use the phrase post pandemic. And then of course that went away. <laughs> and now I just sort of use mid pandemic and we'll kind of figure that out. But the poor folks in food service, I, I mean, the supplier. So this is the, the folks that are supplying the stuff, both with Cisco or Compass or whatever, to your local restaurants, uh, and in the larger campuses and stuff, where you you know you have some really good you know dining experience with the Salesforces, the world, Microsoft. They don't know because it keeps changing, right? Microsoft was going to be back in the office June first. Now it's maybe January first, twenty twenty two. So so it's how do they stock? How do they store? How do they buy? How do you guys then produce? Right? It means just. It, it trickles yeah. down. It's really a, an incredibly challenging time right now in that area. And, you know, just um, I don't know how you, you guys can deal with it, but how'd the pandemic in that sense affect, I mean, you were pretty forward facing with e-com. So what did it do to you guys and how'd you react? You know, it's, it's super interesting, right? Those folks that uh, weren't showing up to business or doing business travel and staying in hotels that would have been eating the burger with our, you know, curry sriracha on it at a hotel those same people, you know, were at their home and they were looking for those similar experiences, but um, they weren't getting the travel aspect of it. And so what we noticed is that a lot of, a lot of people sort of, they were forced to become their, their own at-home chef. You know, they, they weren't able to in New York city to go out five nights a week um, to meet with friends or go to networking events or whatever it may be where they tried new restaurants because they were all closed. Right. And so you know, they, they pick their quarantine buddies uh, and they all cooked for each other. And whether it was their family or their friends or their roommates, whatever it may be. Uh, and, you know, we saw, you know, a huge pickup in, in our Amazon and in our D2C people sort of saying, hey, I, I, you know, I'm looking for ways to level up my cooking. I don't want to necessarily need to buy every spice possible to make a curry when I could just use a Bushwick Kitchen curry sriracha to finish my meal and right. the flavors are all there. Like we've done the hard work for them. There, there were, um, I mean, a, a number of industries that, you know, in terms of, I, I think flavoring condiments, uh, some other stuff that, yes, right. That, that effect was certainly there. And people were, you know, again, like, you know, like I was like, probably you were, we're, we're home all of a sudden and we're cooking and I can't, you know, I, I have, more probably recipes than the average, you know, guy out there, gal, but you know, it's still it, having to do it seven nights a week in a little bit yeah. of a challenge. So, um, and we, you know, and we did take out a lot of course as well, but still takeout, it can still, was still not, certainly not optimal 
for, you know, for eating. And it wasn't optimal for the restaurants and stuff preparing either, but, you know, thank God they could do it because it's how a lot of them survive, you know? Right. um, Yeah. Adaptation was key, but on the flip side of it, right. The people that weren't uh, traveling or weren't going anywhere, they they weren't going to those mom and pop shops. They they weren't the cheese shop down the street that has honey in it wasn't open. And the, no, you know, the, the place on Nantucket where you buy some nice gift sets of cool finds, you know, th- those are mom and pop run operations and they didn't know when they were going to be back or when people were going to travel. You know, so a lot of them closed down, closed down permanently, you know, went out of business, went bankrupt. So, you know, it, uh, you know, like you said, there's a lot of industries that benefited from, from COVID and a whole lot of industries that didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And just a, a big paradigm shift. What's been interesting um, I, I think for a lot of the companies that were you know, e-commerce forward, uh, whether they were a larger brand or smaller, is the amount of that increase that they got when we knew it, a, a portion of it was going to go away. But a lot of it's also stayed. So, you know, people, you know, got used to, you know, this is where I buy my stuff and I buy it online. And even though yeah. it might be back in the store, that's not where I buy it anymore. So. It's, it's maintained. It's been a very interesting thing to see across a number of categories where that happened, you know, where it just has, um, you know, retained more of that bump than you would have thought. I think, you know, it, it's just sort of, uh, it's changed consumer behavior. There's no way you can, you can deny it. Um, in a couple, like you said, a couple of ways, it'll go back to the way it was uh, maybe eventually, you know, but, uh, you know, some own anecdotal examples, you know, we never ordered our groceries. Um, it was always something that we would go, we would take the kids. Yeah. It would be an event. Um, mm-hmm. We'd go down the aisle and kind of spend our time. And, and now the, the Peapod truck shows up and uh, drops the groceries at the door. And, you know, for the three ninety nine that it costs to get them delivered, we don't have to take our kids out, you know, risk exposure. It's just an easier way to do it. Um, and, and same with target, you know, we target drive up was never even a consideration. And now, if we go to Target 10 times over the course of a few months, eight to 10 of those are drive-up trips. Yeah. And, and, and same thing is, I mean, I, I tried those things because I have to, because I'm in the industry. So I got right. to go see how it works. But then a couple of them, like you said, stuck. A couple of them were like, well, wait a minute. I, I'm going to, you You're know. Like, I just saved an hour. Right, right. And I, yeah. you know, I have a, a good friend who's, an, you know, an IP attorney. And she's got two kids and her husband's also an attorney. And she said, I I never shopped at Walmart. I never went into Walmart. She goes, but when I could drive, when I could order online and drive on the way home, pick up the grocery, have somebody put the groceries in the back of my car. She says that I'm sold. That's it. You you hit those points where you're like, well, that's, that's transformational. It saved me time, money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she said, and, and, you know, and, and they give you the list of the stuff that you, you know, you've bought in the past, which she goes has saved me a dozen times because I forget butter, oh, butter. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. I need butter. Right. So yeah. So there's a lot of those changes that, you know, uh, affecting. And I think the, the amount of that that goes on and continues as well as just pre pandemic, let's just go back to the Amazon paradigm shift of that whole thing of delivery. Everybody was rampant right. and retail was rampant delivery and, and, and pickup and stuff anyway. And then this thing just came in and just accelerated it to just crazy levels. Yeah. And I think it, it's changed consumer expectation as well. Right. You know, when, when, when a consumer is shopping on my site or anyone else's DSC site or their Shopify site, you know, yeah. Amazon 
has kind of trained them, uh, expect two day shipping, expect for it to be free. Um, which is, uh, it's a tough nut to crack for, you know, a startup business and, you know, especially our products aren't, you know, I always say that the perfect thing that you could ship in this world is a Rolex watch. You know, it's 15 (laughs) grand and and weighs, you know, less than a pound. Exactly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, But that's not the reality that we are, you know, you've got, you know, between roughly about a, with packaging and everything, a a pound per unit that you're shipping, Um, you know, freight is gone up and is unpredictable and, you know, forget the rest of the supply chain, but, and I'm super curious what Q4 is going to bring for, for all of us in the industry. Um, I've already heard some people, they're not even offering their holiday gifts for, for holiday delivery. They're just telling you already it's coming in Q1. Uh, if you want to pre-order it, it'll, it'll just be late. Just expect it to be late. I, I, um, I wish I could remember the, the fellow's name, but, um, the, uh, the folks at bobsled marketing in New York, Carrie masters, who's their CEO, she quoted this guy and his phrase was ship again. And that's what <laughs> Q4 was going to be was ship again. And literally to the point of saying, you know, the, the UPS truck is, you know, if you're a small shipper, they may skip your stop this day and get you tomorrow or the next day. Like yeah. It's, it's going to come to that. And it's, it's kind of like when the subway shows up and it's full, you can't get on the train. <laughs> you can't get on the train. Yeah. Exactly. There's no more room in here. So speak, speaking of that, Dan, real quick, um, how did you guys, you know, everybody has to face this. It's doing uh, consumer facing stuff. Um, how do you handle your fulfillment without giving away secrets, but how'd you tackle that? Yes. So we work with third-party logistics companies um, pre-2018 in Brooklyn. We did all of it ourselves. We right. bottled everything, shipped everything. It's just, you know, it's not terribly scalable and it's, it's not, we're not subject matter experts in the best you know practices of shipping and fulfillment. So um, I'd rather spend my efforts creating new, amazing products that people love versus um, making sure that, the box, the box get out the door. There's better systems and procedures in place for that. So um, we picked a, a centrally located facility in, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have both of our businesses there for B2C shipments. You know, that allows us to have one sort of contact team to ship multiple brands. Um, and we've been continually making improvements and are going to continue to make improvements. And, you know, we're our next hurdle uh, is how do we get free shipping on every order? That's uh, that's where we really want to be because it's important for the consumer, uh, and it's a big a big stumbling point when someone gets to the cart and they see even a five dollar shipping charge, and they're like, "Wait a second, it's a ten dollar sauce and a five dollar shipping cost. What am I doing? I'll just order it on Amazon or I'll get it the next time I go to the store." And that moment where that customer is willing to buy, that's the moment that we have to get them to buy, not to remember to go back to get it at their local whatever store that they shop at. Yeah, um, we don't want to lose them because there's a ton of great brands out there for them to go switch to. Um, we know our flavors are great, but if they've never tried it, then they don't know that. It's it's one of those things. I have a, I have a client where we we had an, an issue with Amazon and had to throw it was FBA uh, fulfilled by Amazon, mm-hmm. and we had to throw the switch and put it back over to fulfill from the plant. And um, of course, we had to put shipping on that. And the the debate was as well: do we raise the price to cover the shipping? Or do we like subsidize it? So we finally decided back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, decided we'll subsidize it. So we added basically a $3 charge onto a purchase price and increased the purchase price a little bit. And there was all of a sudden all, all kinds of reaction. What is this? What is it? Da, 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 da. Not on the purchase, not on the price 
unit right. increase, but on the three dollar surcharge. What is that? Well, well, wait a minute. Did you notice, by the way, that there was a two bucks? It was a two bucks higher a unit to begin with. No, didn't notice. Noticed the surcharge and the fact that they didn't pay shipping on that item last week. Why are they paying shipping on that item this week? Yeah, and uh, so and like, worse for you, the Prime oh, badge is gone. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and then it's like, yeah, right, Prime badge just gone on that, right? Um, but you know, it, um, yeah. So a combination of things, and and it's it's really hard for a lot of people to quote unquote bake the shipping cost into the price. But um, the, all the stats that I see at least say that the consumer reacts way better that than they do to getting to the the cart and going, hey, wait a minute, you know, eight bucks to ship this? Are you kidding me? Say, so, well, yeah, that's what it costs. Have you made right. anything lately? <laughs> and I think that you know, that's really, I mean, if you use UPS, it's just a baseline. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you're not going to get it for cheaper than that, even with great rates. You know, but I think um, if the value equation is right for the consumer, that's, that's when all of that can work, right? When you look, when you load in the shipping cost and, you know, you don't feel a little bit of pain by, you know, lower margin for single units and what, well, you know, then, then they're not going to respond well to it. Um, but if someone looks at it and says, okay, I'm getting it free, uh, free shipping. The product is something that can justify that total price, and maybe has a little bit of shipping baked into it. Then, then the equation works. Yeah, and that's what we're. There. Yeah, um, exactly. So, in the period of time um, that you've been involved with it, what what was the biggest challenge with uh, Bushwick, and how'd you get out over it? I feel like CPG. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you and you have a schedule, uh, you walk into your office or basement in my case that has my setup uh you you expect something to go according to your schedule and it never does <laughs> so the short answer is there's a long list of things i think the hardest part to be completely honest um was that sort of scale up from mentally and also in in the the process of sort of recreating things of going from that like small batch handmade one bottle opening a spigot in Brooklyn, New York, kind of mentality, professionalizing that to give us the ability to grow the brand because everyone goes through that um, that evolution. Uh, but also making sure that we we maintain that sort of um, born in Brooklyn heritage and um, An attitude. Yeah, 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 and no one wants to buy a brand that's like grown up and sold out, right? Like. For, yeah. for lack of better words, they, they want to buy that brand that has the same ethos as the brand that they, you know, they bottled the first bottle with that they bottled their millionth bottle with. Um, and I think the brands that are really um, captivating to consumers today find that balance um, and they feel niche, they feel specialty, um, but they're accessible um, and they, they communicate in, in a way that's been consistent from day one. And I just feel like people resonate with that authenticity. Yeah, I, th- I think, and that's really much more important today with, uh, you know, focus on social media and, and what I'll call the direct connection to the consumer, which, you know, old brands didn't have to worry about that too much. I mean, you had a customer service department or whatever, but but you, you didn't have customers calling you on your ethos or on your mission or, you know, right? That didn't happen. You didn't have to worry about that. Now it's like right. this, you know, um, a, a two-way street you have to get on. And commercializing anything is a high hurdle. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it's in a lot of, I think, entrepreneurs in food and Bev and, and even in health and wellness and in beauty don't, don't understand that. 
Um, you know, you think it's a big leap from your kitchen to a commercial kitchen, but then to go even to a co-packer is a huge leap. And then a co-packer may be back in to your own facility or a much larger commitment at a co-packer is, um, is just a, it's a big chasm to get over. You know? So, yeah, I think, uh, the generally speaking, uh, consumers have a very um, superficial relationship with the products they buy. Uh, not in a negative way at all, but they see it on the shelves. They kind of compare price, maybe on a price browns basis or an absolute price basis. They factor a little bit of the brand aesthetic into it, and then they buy stuff. Yeah. Um, and so two parts of that. One, the brands that can really evoke an emotional response and get the sort of cut through that clutter are the ones that win, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and, and second, the consumer just really has, um, without being in the industry, it's difficult to understand, uh, how difficult it is to get through supply chain hurdles and ingredient hurdles and, uh, labor hurdles and, and talk to <laughs> so yeah. anyone in the industry. I'm just glad I don't own my own warehouse or own my own facility anymore, uh, where I have to deal with all of those nuances. I, you know, the, our partners do. Uh, but to see them go through the struggles, I mean, it's uh, it's real. And, uh, you know, just to get a, 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 you know, a can of soup or a box of pasta to the shelf, you know, is uh, yeah, is a challenge, especially in in this. Uh, what are we calling it? Mid covid environment? Yeah, yeah. Mid pandemic. Welcome to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't you know we're, 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 what side of it we're going to be on when. But yes, it's a real, you know, it's a real effort. And then I'll, I'll throw into that, especially in in the food you know, part of it is talk about growers and harvesters and, you know, where honey comes from, right? It's that, that, that is an incredibly intensely labor intensive capital intensive business that is fraught with all kind of, of, you know, risk. Um, Just, just amazing that anybody actually, actually does it. So, you know, um, thank goodness for us, they do, but um you know, people don't think about that when they're looking on the shelf going, well, wait a minute, this is, you know, five bucks, you know, five bucks a jar. And it's going, do you have any idea what it took to right. get that jar there from, you know, um, it's, it's one of those things. And I think people, um, people forget that, but um, we, we've got, we've got pressure right at the moment, Dan, um, in terms of inflation, um, you know, you've obviously seen your costs go up. How are you guys handling that? Uh, you know, it's a huge challenge. And um like you said, there's there's costs that are going up because of freight and costs from labor and costs from raw materials and um, you know corrugate. I mean, even even things like that, which oh, yeah. normally had a one to two week lead time, and you know per MSF commodity pricing uh, is is now you know we've gotten three price increases over the last twelve months. Lead times are now like three to four weeks instead of one to two. Um, you know components like our caps for us Russian or honey. Yep. You know, domestic sources of those caps, 50 weeks. You know, how do you how do you uh, forecast your business for 50 weeks from now? I mean, we're talking about, you know, trying to be in stock for this Q4 for the uh, yeah. ship Mageddon, uh, let alone next Q4. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in April of next year, it could be still 50 weeks. It could be more or it could be less. But how do you know? Uh, and, and the same for maple, right? Like in a similar way to bees you know, the weather determines the crop for maple. And um, if the sap doesn't run, you don't get maple syrup. If you don't get maple right. syrup, the commodity pricing goes up, simple supply demand stuff. Um, 
you know, but the consumer doesn't understand like, Hey, this premium maple syrup, that's not high fructose corn syrup, you know, <laughs> maple it's, flavor. it's, it's got to go into a sugar house through yeah. tubes down a hill, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and get evaporated and turned into maple syrup. There's a, there is a process. And, and oh. if you've never been to a, a sugar house that has their own trees, it's an absolutely spectacular process. Yeah, um, it, it, it is amazing. There's actually a great, um, I forget which one of his iterations, but uh, the late Anthony Bourdain did a wonderful program, um, I think in New Hampshire with a chef who does stuff with maple and showed the process. They were up there and, and it's like, this is crazy with all the little you know things strung between the trees. And, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, I think, and that's that's just an important piece, right? Educating consumers about, you know, the uniqueness of, you know, brand like ours product and the premium ingredients and the fact that our maple syrup is organic. But more than that, the fact that you get this really unique flavor profile and that you can use it all over your kitchen and all over uh, in in different dishes and different treatments and, you know, really getting them to be that culinary explorer. I think that's when, when, um, right at that moment where a consumer kind of like that light bulb goes off for them, that's where brand affinity is created. That's where loyalty is created. And that's where evangelism is created, where people start to post on their socials and tell their friends and start to give it as a gift. And, and that kind of virtuous cycle begins. You got to try. Um, yeah. 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 And that's why it's just, it's so important, you know, for, for us to really take a, a consumer centric approach, educate them about the product they're using, how they can, um, you know, change the way that they're consuming the product. Um, to use it more often, more frequently, differently than they might've thought um, when they first bought it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I love user generated stuff when somebody or something you go, you're, they're doing what with it? And you go try it and it's like, wow, this is really good. We, how, where, how come we didn't think of that? You know, it's like, awesome. It gives you that, uh, it gives you that, again, you mentioned it, affinity. It's the consumer affinity for you. And then also that direct contact that just is, uh, just is awesome in terms of, you know, product uh, loyalty and stuff. We, you, you need that going forward. Um, so Dan, let me ask you, we, we uh, uh, try to punish our guests for, you know, having spent some time with us and stuff. Um, we asked them to do a little segment. We call it words to grow by. Um, and it's basically kind of from you to fellow entrepreneurs, um, one word or one phrase or a quote from somebody or whatever that, that you think is really important for, um, you know, folks like you in this business to know. I think there's a, uh, first of all, that's a great segment. Um, uh, and I'm sure that it's uh, inspired many, it's informed many. Uh, hopefully I can provide a little bit of that. I'm going to take a bit of a different approach. Um, a gentleman okay. that I knew a long time ago, um, he gave my co-founder, Dave and I, uh, a, a uh, plaque that was framed. Uh, and it just had two words on it and they were not yet. I think it's a pretty, wow. it, it, maybe this is like a bit of a, like ethereal thing, but, um, I think you can apply that to a lot of things. Um, and the, my caveat to it is never let perfection be the enemy of good. Um, but when you start to think about your brand, about your marketing position, uh, the products that you're creating, um, in the back of my mind, even though I don't think about it every day, I always have this not yet phrase. You know, is it, um, you know, is it, is it perfect? Not yet. Uh, you know, have we reached, you know, our best website design not yet you know have we gotten um our shipping you know figured out to get the best possible consumer experience not yet and i think if you sort of take that afraid that phrase that you can always be doing something better um 
you stave off complacency. And in my opinion, complacency uh, is what kills brands. Um, you lo- yep. you start to lose momentum, um, which can work in both ways, positive and negative. So you start to build negative momentum. Um, consumers don't find you as unique. Um, your employees aren't as jazzed uh, and everything sort of just goes downhill from there. And so to maintain the positive momentum, continue to think about um, ways to improve the brand, the image, the products, uh, the process. Um, I think if you, if you start there and you love what you do, you get pretty amazing results. You will get pretty amazing results. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and great advice, but I love that. Not yet on a plaque. I may have to get one for, I used to have one in, uh, I don't have any more, but in, in my agency office in San Fran, I had a, a plaque that said, guess who files for bankruptcy the day after your largest client? <laughs> it was like, just remember, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's just don't, right. you know, and it's great that you have a huge client. Um, but when they get to be more than 50% of your billing, you need to think about getting some other clients too. It's very important, but awesome. Well, thanks, Dan. Really appreciate you taking the time with us today and, and sharing the story, folks. Bushwick Kitchen and com, and of course on Amazon and at some of your wonderful places, Sir Latab and uh, Dean DeLuca. So, you know, go out and try them and come up with some great recipes of your own. Appreciate it, Dan. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Steve. No problem. And thanks to all the rest of you for joining us today here on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community, providing education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information is available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, folks. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.